you'd like to contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam Podcast community group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Live on Four Legs Pod. Now staring out the, uh, my uh, hotel room window looks out on the, uh, I'm not sure what exactly you call it. You've got a big tower in the middle of the city. And it uh, made me kind of homesick. We've got one of those too, the Space Needle. And uh, and it is comforting to know that, that our, 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 our big cities have something in common, that they're, they're both sporting rather large erections. And away we go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring... Mr. Stone Gossett! Fucking Cameron in the truck. everybody now welcome to live on four legs a definitive live pearl jam podcast and welcome to the first episode of 2022 yeah we've made it another year very exciting and very excited to have you aboard with us this is the first time that you've ever listened to an episode what we do on this show is we cover the extensive live pearl jam catalog ranging on every year it could be something from the early years, from the 10, from the verses, from the no-code years, or it could be something right in the middle, like we're doing today, 2005, a year that maybe doesn't get talked about too much, or we could do something really recent. We could do the shows from this past year, or when we do have shows this coming year, maybe we'll do one of those shows later on this year. You never know. But what we do is we try and go through the whole entire show and break it down song by song, talk a little bit about the history, find a narrative and give you guys the memories that you've been cherishing and allow you to relive them a little bit while listening to a little bit of the bootleg as well. While we get into the show, we got a good one for you today. Randy Sobel over here, John Ferrara over there. Hello. Happy new year. Happy new year. Yeah. How you feeling about 2022? It's it's barely been on the clock, but you know. Yeah, that's I was I was gonna say you mentioned that we could possibly have shows coming up and we may even know by the time this is released what those tour dates are gonna look like in May or if they're not gonna look like May. Right. Know, knowing that we're in the middle of another surge here. Right. I'm wondering if some of this stuff is gonna be postponed until after Europe. I wonder if they're just going to be extra cautious and those Earthling shows are in some serious jeopardy. I would think those are going to be February. Yeah. I would I would not hold your breath that those are going to happen. 
Yeah, uh, it's becoming increasingly less likely. However, you're starting to see some cancellations again. You're starting to see some, but you're starting to see when there's surges in certain areas. When I, and, I, and I look at sports, and the only reason why they're canceling in games for NHL or NBA is if they have a, a certain amount of players in COVID protocol. They're not canceling games because there's a recent outbreak in an area. So that's what leads me to believe that maybe while things are going on and things are increasing and stuff is happening, there is some sort of normalcy that's that's happening within all of this. And... I can see there being a world where it continues. There's not there's not a lot of concerts happening. I don't know, man. I don't know. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm just not optimistic. I, I'm just saying there's not a lot of concerts happening, but and you have to think the small theaters that Ed chose for them to perform in that doesn't bode well for bringing all of them together. But you just don't know, and and I think it might be like a game time decision type thing. It might be one of those things where that week they're, they're going to have to decide or they're going to have to decide if it's a go right now and, and stick to it. So you never know. Um, but yeah, that's, it's an interesting point. Obviously we want the stuff back from 2020. It's now pretty much officially been two years since we were supposed to get those shows. So yeah. we're, and we're waiting for it and everybody wants them and everybody deserves them. And, and it, this is including the band too, but you have to think that the first, the last thing that the band wants to know is that somebody contracted the virus and died from being at their show. I think that's exactly. the last thing that and they know that people travel from all over the world to come see these things. Right. They, I, I've been saying from the very beginning that they were going to be the last ones to come back. We'll have to wait and see. And yep. I think right now it's kind of a, if we're not hearing anything bad, then, and, and I'm not hearing anything bad from any rumor mills or anything like that. So everything just seems to be a go and a given. But yes, I, when you look at numbers, when you look at what's going on and, and how it's affecting certain places, yeah, there yeah. is cause for concern for sure. Well, we, we should know soon. They did say it would be early January. So yep. As soon as we hear, you know, if we if we need to do a quick reaction thing, we will we, we, we will. So be on the oh, absolutely. That, uh, if when that news comes out, absolutely, yeah, I, I anticipate it being the first or second week. And and look, we have the tenth falls on a Monday. That's next Monday. And while they don't usually break a lot of news in the newsletter anymore, it's possible that they can bring something up. You, you never know; something could happen there. So you never know; they yeah, could yeah. do something on the date. Today we are covering a show from 2005. That was a year where it was interesting because it's in the middle of two albums. Riot Act is pretty much finished. The election is pretty much finished. So this is kind of your first foray into a little bit of a new era. The next year you would get Avocado. You would get a completely different tour. You would get completely different features. But I think this is a good setup. And what most of 2005 was, was pretty much the first time they ever did all of Canada. And that's going from every single province they did. They did the small places. They did the big places like we're doing today with Toronto. And I think there was about like 19 or 20 shows or so. And uh, they, they would go back and they would do that in 2011 again, but not as extensive. And then later in 2005, they'd, they'd go down to South America for the first time. So it's definitely an interesting in-between year for them. Yeah, you know, it, it kind of reminded me of All Encompassing Trip. You know, we did Saskatoon 
last year and we had Jason on and talked about that, it it kind of made me want to go uh, kind of revisit that book and read about, you know, all the stories from that tour that he had and kind of going to all these little small towns in Canada. But this one, definitely not a small town. This is this nope. is the uh, the big one. Yeah, for sure. And I think a lot of episodes that get requested, a lot of shows that we've touched up on Canada so far have been pretty much Toronto and they, they have an extensive history there and I, there's a lot to get to. So this is just part, and this is, a, for a lot of people, this is very important because of who's there, because of the narrative of this show, and we'll talk a little bit about that now, might as well. Pearl Jam's connection to U2. You gotta go back to the Metro show where Larry Mullins Jr. and The Edge were scouting them that night in March of 92, and they were scouting them to see if they wanted to be an opener, and what happened was they were they ended up being an opener for the 1993 Zoo Tour, and this was right before Versus was coming out in the middle of the summer, so they were doing some Neil Young dates, they would come back home and they would do a couple more Neil dates, and they would do some scattered shows here and there, and then Versus would come out in October, but they did four shows in Italy opening for U2 and they were not received well. It just wasn't their thing. You know, U2 has always been kind of one of those like Europe is their like that's their home turf, right? That's their, those are their people. They'd been around for a long time at that point. I think they started in what, 78 or 79? Oh yeah. And their fans are a little more of the even at that point in the early 90s, a little more of the old school, who are these young guys trying to come up here and play? They're like People who love you too, like, think they're like God-level band, right? Bono is, you know, this deity. And you, could, you could say that, yes. yes. I won't I won't say that, I, but you could I, say that. I won't, I will not either. But yeah, I mean, they had a good run in the early 80s, and then it kind of turned into this other thing. We've seen a couple where, you know, Ed was kind of poking fun, you know, oh, say hi to Paul and all that stuff. You know, Bono's real name is Paul and, you know, the, the masks and everything that he was doing, the fly persona Bono was. And it just probably wasn't a good match in hindsight. Yeah, I think that's what gets you two a little muffled in the mix is that they try to do these themes anytime they have an album out and Zuropa was a big one they had the Zuropa TV which had a whole technical side of the show that that was completely different and, and hadn't been done before and then when you think about 2004 2005 that felt like a big comeback year for you too because when you think about it that's the Vertigo tour Vertigo was huge Vertigo well, that's elevation they, they put on everybody's phone without asking no, no, that was something else. That was a little bit later. That that was iTunes. It was. Right, it, right. It, it's so fun. I find it hilarious. And and Bono has been on record talking about it in interviews, saying, I, "We we give you a free record. How can you hate this?" And we're like, "Well, it's because <sighs> it's you too. If it was yeah. anybody else, that was universally appreciated, and you would think that you two would be. And I think a lot of it has to do with." who Bono is, and especially at this time that we're going to talk about today, the Vertigo tour, I'm just going to go ahead and say Bono was insufferable. He was everywhere. They were on every late night show. They were on every commercial. And even the way that you see Bono at the show, he's got the hat on and, oh, and the, like cowboy that, hat. Yeah. the cowboy hat. And that kind of became a shtick after a while. This would be that, that era of that kind of shtick. And it was just... 
after a while, like, and, and more power to him for doing all the things that he did with charities down in Africa and going down, but like a lot of it felt like pandering anytime that he was talking about it. It was like he was trying to toot his own horn. And as we know from what this band does and, and the charities that they donate to, they focus more on the charitable aspects. And it always felt in a way that Bono was trying to take credit for something that he should have just been focusing on the issue at hand, which he was, but he was so massively above it that it was tough to separate the two. Yeah, it's it's hard because I'll, you know, I'm going to try to be objective here because you and I come from, you know, more of a of a punk rock background right. where, you know, pretension in music is considered a very bad thing. And that's something to be ridiculed and something to kind of look down on. And and you two are kind of a pretentious band. They always have been. But there are some people who love that about them. And there are some people who think that's the greatest thing about them. And it's the, the showmanship and they goes back to, you know, your queen and the who and things like that. As much as Pearl Jam goes back to the YouTube goes back to the who as well. They are a stadium rock band like that. Like Bono is a quintessential like lead singer as much as you and I may not like want to admit it or may not want to give him the respect, but they've been a stadium rock band for going on 40 years now. For some people who are into that, he is a God. It even mentions, I think, it during the thing here. Like, the man's, he's done a lot of great things. He's helped a lot of people. But there's, I, I'm with you. I'm like, there's, there's an undertone to it of like, look at how great I am. And mm-hmm. like, I ju- it just kind of rubs me the wrong way. But that's just me. Where some of their early 80s stuff is, is fine, but it's just not for me. I don't, I don't ever find myself going and like, oh, I want to go listen to you too. Oh yeah, no, I, I, I honestly, they've been a radio band to me, and that's the only time I've ever really took the band was listening to them on the radio, and it's not something I would turn off, but it's not something like I'm, I'm not, I have, yeah, yeah. not a lot of knowledge of YouTube before hmm. going into the show. I don't know the songs that they paid tribute to too well here. It's not my thing, but what I will say is that especially during this time. I mean, I, you know, I made fun of Bono so much that one Halloween year I dressed up like him just so I can open the door. I held a Halloween party at my house just so I can open up the door and say, yeah, 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 I, I did that shit. So like and, and that is obviously the lasting effect of the Vertigo song, which is just one of the worst songs I've ever heard in my life. I think the way that we move on is is just talking about the vertigo tour and how that how massive it was and what was actually happening and why youtube was in toronto at the time was that they were opening up their third leg and they played four nights at the air canada center which many people want to call maple leaf's garden that, that that's fine i'll call it the maple leaf garden whatever you want me to say and they played four nights basically four nights in a row and on the last night ed I guess they were coming back from Ottawa, so Ed got to go, and probably the rest of the band, Ed got to go to that show on September 17th. The show that happens, this Pearl Jam show that happens, is on the 19th. And Ed was actually brought up on stage. Do you know what Ed sang? Did, did, did you know before researching this? I, I do know because I follow the podcast account on Twitter. <laughs> okay. Yes, it, it was an odd choice. It's Old Man River, and it must have been some joke that they had backstage or something like that. But yeah, Ed comes on, 
and they sing old man river together and it it's 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 something else but it seemed like after those four dates the guys from youtube bono edge everybody else stuck around watched the show and that sort of became part of their stay in toronto and it mentions somewhere in the show that you know oh you two is paid thousands and thousands of dollars for drinks and he says something about bono buying him a fifteen hundred dollar bottle of vodka at some point that weekend so like they're pretty buddy buddy with them and that is a good thing and i think we can get to that in a little bit Let's get into the show, and before we get into it, let's thank our patron, Emil Mansour, for requesting this one. He's been a patron for quite a while. We've been sitting on this show for a while because we had a lot of other Toronto responsibilities that we had to get to. So, Emil, your episode, and uh, thanks for continuing to contribute to the show. Yeah, good request. This is a show where Ed comes out and plays solo on porch, warming up the crowd. time where the bluesy intro was starting to get interpreted into the actual version of Porch, and Porch kind of took a turn pretty much after the Riot Act tour, the one, two, three, four Porch was, was gone, Fast Porch was gone, and you get the interpretation of this version, what we know today as being uh, the bluesy, the plucky, the riffy Porch with that intro that kind of goes slow into fast, and we've said it on the show before, obviously we are fans of the Fast Porch version, however, I really like this rendition. I thought that even though when he does it solo now, it can feel campy at times, you know, it it, it feels kind of like a caricature of itself. However, when he plays it here, it feels super serious. And then when he's getting into the end of it and building back into the final chorus, he starts strumming really hard. Sounds really good. I I enjoyed this version and, and you don't get a lot of this him just opening up uh, especially in 2005, I don't think he was doing that that much uh, in in that era. But I thought that th- this was really good. Yeah, you mentioned you hit on it that when he starts really pouring into it in the in the bridge there, it gets really interesting. And I really like these kind of solo versions that he does. These little and the, the preset kind of came back like that was a thing that happened a lot in '98. You know, a little bit earlier on, but this was cool that they were doing it on this this little leg. He hadn't done it in a long time. Um, you know, I, I, I kind of wonder if we're bound to get it back again because that's the sort of thing. Maybe they're they're getting openers for the first time in a very long time, and you would think that Ed wants to get the butts in seats so people watch the openers. Definitely, definitely. And if you know, if, if he does it the first night, word will get out, and people will start getting in there early. Yeah, oh yeah, it, oh, it yeah. definitely works. Uh, so yeah, I can definitely see that happening, but. 
yeah, you know, I've seen him do this when he does this in his solo tours, and he, he plays it this way. And yeah, interestingly enough, like, this is a song they were normally, like, closing a set with, and here you're getting, like, you know, we're used to getting these kind of rare songs. You would get, like, a Dead Man or a Hydra Love Away, but he's breaking out a, a classic here. You're kind of taking it away from the from the main set. Right, right. And if you kind of travel uh, further in time to 2014, he he was opening and doing solo porch warm-up, and then they would play porch to close their main center encore. They would actually play it in the regular show, which is which is interesting. It's a choice. Yeah. But, you yeah. know, I, I, it's, I, I think that a lot of shows, especially in that era where, you know, a lot of people are going with the nostalgia of 10 in mind, that's that's a song they want to hear and we're going to get to a lot of 10 stuff in this show as well which honestly this is a tour that's kind of known for digging into the deep cuts it's not really a deep cut show this is yeah, uh yeah, pretty pretty hit front friendly which is oh there's there's a murderer's row in the back half of the main set that we're gonna absolutely get to. absolutely yeah there's lots of good stuff to talk about so let's get to actual show the band coming on stage slater kinney opens up and then they come out and it's going to be released to open this one like i mentioned a bunch of 10 songs at the show i see the world kind of creating an early tension with this melody and and it, it's building up to the big moments and elevating choruses and and elevating when they're they're starting to build up and matt's starting to get heavy on there it's a good version of release what, what can you say like it, the crowd is drawn into it they're reacting to it every single time they kind of come down off that high the crowd immediately is taken away by it and that's what you want with a big place a big city show you're going to get a big song opener to, to kick you off. Definitely. And the thing with Release 2 that really stuck out to me is it started out so kind of calm and relaxed, and it ended up being really big and really open. Had a, a really nice build. I think you, you mentioned Stone. Like, the way he just kind of carries the song, the way he kind of guides it through the whole thing, like, you almost can't pick out one section of it because it's just the song as a whole just works very well this is a very good like building kind of swelling version at the beginning of it i was kind of like oh this is it's kind of nice but then you get to the end and you're you're in it and like it kind of feels a little bit emotional like very very well done in this release it really snuck up on me 
There's no holding back in the beginning, kind of leading into your go, your animal, your savior, you're given a fly. But when you hit the spots that really work and the stuff that, that's going to work in a big city, these are songs that you always go to. They're usually go-tos in small cities, go-tos in big cities, it doesn't matter. These ones are always going to hit. And what I will say about especially the beginning songs, but pretty much the whole show, I thought Jeff sounded phenomenal at the show. Okay. And cool. that was actually one of my quote unquote resolutions for this show is listen to Jeff a little more because it feels like we don't yeah. talk about him enough. And it feels like, you know, you talk about stone, you talk about Mike and what they're doing and kind of how they're leading the pack. But Jeff is complimenting everything so well. Jeff and stone off of animal uh, jeff is opening it up for stone to kind of put out those plucky riffs and those plucky riffs are sta- standing out uh jeff is also the most energetic one on stage and the first three of these go animal save you are all right out of the gate perfect transition into one another as if you were listening to it on a record it just felt natural jeff on all of these sounded really good Save you especially. I always like listening to him on that bridge and that build. It's, he's just really letting it hang and letting it ride and open and opens it up. It sounds very, very good on Save You, and another great you know Stone solo on Save You as well. And yeah, Jeff and Stone like you know Ed always mentions it on stage. You know whenever they'll do like a Crown of Thorns or something, he'll be like, oh you know Jeff Jeff and Stone have been together since 1982 or whatever playing in bands, but that can't be understated enough like right way they play together and we give you know stone gets all this credit for you know the 10 era and like all these riffs and you know these grooves and everything but jeff is just as much a part of that and the way they can just play by feel off of each other and like you know i've talked about it before whenever you see them on stage just kind of like in the background they'll kind of go up to each other and kind of lock in and just kind of like Groove a little There's bit. A you, lot of that going on at this show. Yeah, it always it always gets me right in the feels. Like these guys have been doing it at this point for God, nearly 25 years. You know, going back to Mother Love Bone and Green River and all these other things. And like the way they play together, they complement each other perfectly. And it's it's just it's the backbone that everything else builds off of. Yeah, I, I fully agree, and and you're right. Like Stone does get most of the credit for it, but it doesn't happen without Jeff's, and not just oh, he, what Jeff is doing, but not he's not interrupt. He's so underrated. Like people, you know, you talk about, you think of like these lists of like best ba- bass players of all time. Like people talk about Les Claypool and Flea, and you know, but those are Mike, showy Mike guys. Watts, Jeff's like, not a showy yeah, bass player, but he, but he deserves to be in that list. Like he's. He's a top five, top ten bass player of all time, absolutely. Yeah, I, I look, I think it's hard-pressed to argue that, but also I have a little bit of bias in me, and that's that's a tougher conversation than a guitar conversation because you really, there's some really, really good bass players out there that don't get enough credit for what they do because they're seen as kind of being in the background. And one thing I will say about Jeff is that he takes song even like go animal save you he takes songs and he builds a second secondary rhythm for it and it just blends together so well with what stone's doing and I, that's that's the chemistry they have that's the chemistry they have he's and that's a, why it works he's so got well. a really good sense of melody and a really good sense of rhythm and they're just locked in so given to fly is sort of part of this section too but i wanted to give the the first three kind of their due because they were really the heavy hitters but given to fly is interesting because i, I mean the song it just has a great balance to it the chorus explodes the builds are perfect in it and then here's a storyline that's kind of kind of come and go from this show 
Ed goes back to Matt Cameron to go sing on the drum riser. And they go to Cameron a lot. We're going to be kind of going back to that. I don't know if there was something going on with him where everybody felt like they needed to comfort him, where maybe he, he was dealing with a loss or something like that, or they were just feeling good playing with Matt Cameron then. And sometimes yeah. they they yeah. kind of forget that they have somebody like Matt back there. And that's why you always say like Ed is so grateful for his and and it sort of feels like the way that Ed says it sometimes is that like he was never part of this and he's like still the new guy essentially and he's like oh, I'm I'm just grateful that Cameron's aboard on this instead of like Cameron is this you know what I mean yeah. And I think we've did a show last year where he did this too during Given to Fly. He went up in on the drum riser and sang. And I think when we did our evolution episode, that was something we talked about too, where he would he would go up there and sing with Matt. And I and that we talked about too how two thousand five was kind of a big turning point for this song and where it kind of started to speed up and started to get a little more anthemic and open up a little bit. And yeah, I'm, I'm with you. This is a this is a fantastic version of Given to Fly. It sounds really good. And toasting to Toronto and makes a special toast to you too, and kind of tongue in cheek for opening for us because the last four nights you two was there, and I, I'm sure that the, t- the takedown from the sets and I, I'm sure you two had some elaborate set that they had. Oh yeah, massive video screens and the people that were probably like the freelancers hired on to do those shows and and did the Pearl Jam show as well. They were probably like what. Where where is everything? You're just setting up a stage here. It's yeah. probably such a stark contrast to what you two's doing. So yeah, yeah. But like you mentioned, they've been working the shit out of this building for weeks. Outside of my hotel, there is a big tower, which is the CN Tower, and says, "You guys made me kind of homesick." We have one of these too with the Space Needle, and it's great that both of our cities have something in common and are sporting large erections. There you have it corduroy into love boat captain and uh, the band's feeling it on corduroy that was that was another song where everybody is circling and huddling around matt and there's there's good energy on stage they're feeling a certain way and uh, they'll go back to this a couple of times and it's usually during mike's solos Mike will kind of be on the side, kind of taking the spotlight for himself, and the rest of the band will huddle together and kind of get by Matt. And and this was interesting that they kept going back to this. A great ending, like you mentioned. Like they're they all kind of it, even Mike comes over near the end, and they're all four kind of just hanging around Cameron. But did you notice like someone was out of tune in the middle of Corduroy? Like there were some there yeah. were some wrong there were some wrong notes being hit, and that's going to be something that pops up again. Yes. Again, later on. I can't remember what song, but you're uh, you're absolutely right. It does yeah. pop up again. Yeah. I think it was present tense, maybe. Habit too. Habit is the big one. Oh uh, yeah, of course. And uh, yeah, some Ed is Ed is not happy. It sounded like just a string, like something would have been two and a half step down, or wasn't supposed to be, or just something was wrong. And they had to kind of he had to kind of adjust and look like he was. It's kind of the thing where you have to like figure out on the fly, like okay, I'm, this usually goes here, but I have to move it because this is wrong. So yeah. Yeah, just a little bit awkward, but they, they pick it up at the end, and it sounds really good. And, and it, yeah, it's about that moment where they're all kind of huddled around at the end, yeah. And that goes into Love Boat Captain. Ed points out Boom and mentions that they wrote this one together, which is funny because you'd think, okay, that's kind of the segue for Boom to start the song. 
Head is actually starting the song on this, and yeah. Ed ends up finishing the song on this as well, which is interesting because it's usually Boom is going to set the tone for that, but Ed starts the riff on it, and it does it. It's it's uncommon, but it does happen. But it's interesting that they kind of give he he gives Boom the credit and then goes off and and he's kind of starting the song. I thought that that was a little interesting, but they give you the let the show begin line, which you're eight songs in, so you're it's a little counterproductive. You're you've already started the show, but it gets a great reaction from the crowd. I think a lot of people know the line, recognize the line from Live at the Garden DVD. So if that's that's where that's where that come from. Uh, but stellar rendition of this. Mike kills the solo. You don't hear Boom too well on it, but... And you know what? Ed even mentions something at the end of the song. He says something to Boom. He looks over to him, and I don't know if he's, like, telling him to hold off at the end, but once again, it's Ed letting the chords ring out. That, it sounded great, but I wonder what the communication was there. Did you notice, I think Boom hadn't even been on stage prior to this. Like, I think this is first... This is his first song that he plays on because I remember looking over and like he was not there. For was he not there during release? I don't think so. I don't even think he played on Save You, and that's one that he was. Yeah. Therefore, I think I think this was his first, you know, kind of moment during the show. I think he came out here, which is a little strange. But I mean, yeah, it's it's Logo Captain. It's again, I, I love the song. One of their one of the most underrated songs in any time. I don't have a problem with it. So, okay, here you're going to get to another YouTube reference, and they're going to be spliced in all throughout. And what I, what I will say, and kind of going off of what we were saying before, neither of us are YouTube fans. We can't, like, give you the history of what these songs are about or really understand kind of why they're playing them. But this is a song that has come back before, I believe. They played this on one of the South America tours, uh, South American shows, A Sort of Homecoming. It's off of uh, The Unforgettable Fire. And the other song that they're going to play is also off the same album. So that's sort of used as an interlude into Elderly Moon, which sounds really good. I 
went back and I, I listened to that song, which I don't know if I've listened to the YouTube version before. And like, okay, that that was an interesting take on it. It was definitely it felt a lot lighter. It was, you know, that that's that's a song that has all of the YouTube kind of delay effects, and it sounded kind of nice when when it was just sort of freeform. Yeah, and it's it's another deep cut, right? It's it's not you know where the streets have no name. It's right, not, mysterious you know, ways, right, right. Yeah, give him credit for that. You know, I'm sure Ed was a U2 fan growing up. He's probably he was 15 or 16 years old, like listening to them. You know, so yeah, I get it. It's just another thing where another band where they they could have gone for the hit, but they they break out these deep cuts, and that gives it a little more a little more behind it. And it's kind of a little a treat for the for the hardcore U2 fans who happen to be there as well. So right, and it, it's a little short take on it. It's just him solo. I didn't have a problem with it. No, no, not at all. Yeah. I think it's yeah. a nice little tribute, actually. And and to be honest with you, you got to think if there were people that went to one or all four of the nights, or even staff that that was sure. there, whoever sure. whoever was there for all five shows, U two is not one of these bands that 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 skips around the set list at all. They probably didn't play that song, and they probably didn't change up the set. They probably haven't played it since 1986 or something. Oh, I doubt it. Yeah, yeah, I doubt it. Yeah, this, uh, this reminded me a lot of like what they what they did with Help, like in mm-hmm. in the recent years, like uh, just real simple, just play the melody and then have it lead into something else, kind of used in a, the same way. Yeah, and the transition works. It works yeah. into a pretty impassioned small town, and it feels like a, a lot of the performance are taken pretty seriously. Like you don't get kind of a, a happy energy; you get like a pretty uh, determined energy on stage, I would say. And maybe it's the factor that the guys from U2 are in the crowd and they want to impress them. And maybe that's why some of the things that happen, and we're two songs away from habit and getting into that situation, that you know Ed does get frustrated during these things, but. The main set, especially, they felt determined like they were on a mission to accomplish something at this show. And then the encores, it would become loose. It would, it was starting to loosen up a little bit. But right here, everything felt like it was played for a reason. Everything felt like they were zoned in. So Evenflow happening next. This is obviously the Evenflow section in the middle of the set. And Mike's going to take his big moment to shine, going to the top of the stage, showing off. But... What's everybody else doing? They're hovering around Matt. While Mike is alone on his own island on the tippy top of the stage over there, everybody else is is finding kind of this this counterbalance with Matt and, and sort of finding a groove with him. Uh, again, who, who knows what was going on, if there was something that was happening or they were just really feeling it from Cameron that night. He's always ha- has a great night, so you never know. But I thought everything here was was great. We've, I don't think we've ever done a show where like, oh man, you know, Matt really had an off night here. Like, no, no never. He's just, a, he's just a robot. Like, he's the perfect Pearl Jam drummer personified. But even flow, yeah, it it just really felt like it was the solo was kind of becoming the spectacle like that it is like in the in the two thousand two thousand three. Like, yes, it was a big moment, but it wasn't like this big like you know it's it starting to develop moment into it. and and. Right. It, we was, we would start getting the drum solos, you know, soon after this in 2006, and it was becoming like a thing. And even I thought Small Town was more of like a you kind of hinted at it a little bit more of like a a rock version of it. Almost sounded more like the Who than it did kind of the folkier yeah. version that we they do sometimes. So yeah, I think they're kind of playing up that stadium rock element here a little bit. I can see that. Yeah, 
For sure. Okay, the next one. So Ed's going to tee up Habit by saying the greatest song I had ever heard written about an addiction is a song called Bad. And it gets played a little bit. And he says, this is our song about addiction. It's called Habit. Again, I think Bad is another one that's off the Unforgettable Fire, which is not like Octung Baby or Joshua Tree. Yeah, another deep cut. Right. It's another deep cut. So you you know that they're into this and then they've been into the to the band for for a long time. They've been followers. So, OK, have it. Where's the miscommunication? Let's kind of talk through this a little bit. Uh, Mike is running all the way over to Stone's side. And at one point, Ed looks out. It's I think it's in the court. I wonder if this was a, uh, you know, we covered that show where the guitar tech got fired in the middle of the show during Sirens and that whole right. thing. This is not that bad, but it's very close. Again, I think it's whoever was, whoever tuned his guitar, and I think it is Ed's guitar that's off. I think whoever tuned that guitar did not tune it correctly. I think it's it's a half step off one way or the other. Right. They have specific set lists for the text, and you can see those sometimes in laugh. You know the list of guitars and the key that the song's in and the tuning and they're supposed to have that ready for that song and whoever was doing it for this messed up to to put it lightly and it's just that look of like dude you had one job like all you got to do is is tune the guitar the right way you you messed up the whole show he takes that stuff seriously and yeah he's like he's yelling at someone pointing at the strings i think that that's kind of the hint that i took from it yeah and yeah again it's a thing where he has to kind of like you see him really focusing because it's like normally you would play this on the fifth fret but now you have to play it on the fourth fret because it's tuned wrong and it still sounds weird because you're playing it half a key off from everyone else but that's the best you can do so i can see where it's frustrating and yeah how many times do you have to talk about it Wears his heart on his sleeve. You always know how he's feeling. Yep. He's he's not good at, at masking his emotions. So yeah, it's just kind of a kind of a rough moment during the song. Yeah, and I think habit is one of those that it'll happen during. Obviously not often, but especially now habit is tuned so low, so Ed can start to oh, yeah. to kind of match his voice it's to, probably to in what they're doing or something. Maybe even like a drop oh, or something. maybe lower, yeah. maybe lower. Yeah, yeah it, it's really low when they do it now. It almost doesn't sound like the song, but that that's what happens. And and at this point, I don't think it's being played in the same tune that it's that it was played in 1996 so mm-hmm. like they, they have to make those changes for for that era and they have to kind of get used to that stuff and habit was not they didn't go back to it on this little leg they didn't go back to it in, in into they, they've only played all. it 13 more times in the right 16 years right so yeah. that's 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 as much as you should know from uh from that but the rest of it sounded pretty good though speaking as a greasy dirty american and the, the rest of it uh, they kind of used all that that pissed off frustration to finish off yeah. and i thought it finished off pretty well it has that kind of descent into madness that we talk about with Deep sometimes like it mm-hmm. just kind of it just kind of swirled and kind of like hung around and got a little crazy at the end a little chaotic next up is daughter plus plus one plus two plus three plus four this is the most amount of tags I've ever seen on a daughter. And yeah. if, 
if you've seen more contact immediately because i don't think i've seen five and technically there might have been a couple but i'd I'd have to go back and really think about it really rare yeah unless they really did something and technically there's a moment where he says yahweh 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 did did you hear that Mm mm-hmm that's another U2 reference. I don't know what that song, I, I read about it, but mm. during that, yeah. they said there was a subtle reference to another song called Yahweh. So uh, there technically could be five here. Mm. Okay, we'll roll through them here. Androgynous <laughs> Mind, then a little bit of WMA, call and response on Blitzkrieg Bop, and then we get the aforementioned U2 song that was uh, talked about before Habit. Bad. Yeah. at the end of the tag sounded really good and I'm not sure if that was another nod to you 2 but it was a, it was something a little different it was something that you don't hear on daughter very often this is cool the way that he I mean you think like four tags it's going to be a clusterfuck like you know this is seven minutes you know almost of daughter which is very very long for the song and you think like oh it's just going to be a slog to get through but i like the way that kind of just kind of weaves through them and just kind of you get a little taste of one and then you know it kind of moves on and i mean ed he's it's just it's whatever he's feeling so he's he's obviously he obviously wanted to get to bad and i think he just had to kind of take a circuitous route to get there all right so that's a lot that happens there but starting with daughter this is like outside of half full this is greatest hits end of main set and they're hitting pretty hard on a lot of these and it's really going to kick with better man which gets a great ovation with the crowd singing along and the crowd just giving them and i'm going to mention this uh, do, do you remember what i mentioned one of the last episodes before we ended the year that that cigarette moment where the band stops mm-hmm. they have a big moment oh, and the crowd just effect the dramatic effect and comes off and the crowd just erupts. Oh, 
chokes up on it a little bit. He he waits, he pauses for longer than he usually does. Good singing, that was good. And before they get back in, he's just like, he kind of like laughs to himself and he kind of makes a face like, what, what the fuck did we do to deserve that? You know what I mean? Very, very strong crowd during that one. Yeah, the song was like, it was kind of taken off. 2003 was a, was a big year for Better Man. It really started to take off. And this 2005, it's just everyone in that crowd was waiting for it. And it just, the sing-along. I think there were, there's been a few good crowd moments, like there's a good crowd moment in Animal early on. But this is the one that, that where they really kick it in, and this, this crowd really shows what they can do. Look, it's showstopper after showstopper in all yeah. these, and, and there, there's not a lot of main sets where you can say that Better Man and Black as showstoppers kind of happen ar- around each other, but that's that's what happens here. Like, this is pretty early for a Better Man, and especially one that's going right. to be sort of your highest elevated moment in, in the set, if you know what I mean. Oh, yeah. I think they knew that they had, you know, some stuff up their sleeve for later, so let's go right. ahead and, and hit these now to, to get people warmed up for what's coming later. For sure, yeah, because the encore, the first encore at least is something kind of completely out of left field that they don't usually yeah. do. Yeah. So half full is kind of sandwiched in between Better Man and Black. Uh, Ed's doing the the light shine thing, and it it, it doesn't look like a uh, a pit guard. It looks like it's just kind of a like a tray of some sort. Thoughts, some kind of yeah, beer. yeah. What? A, yeah, whatever it was. Look, this is the third and final Riot Act song of this show. They're not promoting the album. They're not talking about the album as much. And really, the three of these songs are are three that kind of stuck around, like Save You stuck around, but Half Full, Love Boat Captain, a little bit here and there, but not not really. So, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of passing through a couple of these. The only other thing that I got on Half Full is that he just pleads to the crowd, won't one of you save the world? And I thought that that was kind of a cool moment. He's done something like that before and made it notable, so that, that's a good throwback to that i but love this half full i thought this you was really fantastic. oh yeah and i think you know on paper you're like oh it's just kind of sandwiched in between all these greatest hits you know it's kind of going to be the the blah moment but oh not at all like a really good ending i thought they kind of jammed out on it a little bit it sounded very very good and like this is a sleeper song for me like every time we get it i'm impressed i'm gonna have to give it a little more credit than i have i i really like this one live especially it's one it's one of those like middle tier for me Hmm. where it's it's never been a low it's never been a high it's always been a if it's there i enjoy it but it's not going to be the spectacle of the show the, it's the almost big like that yeah it's that thing with you know i, I you so sometimes you know tongue-in-cheek complain about i am mine is like they won't let it go and they won't like let it have this big moment at the end but half full they kind of do like they kind of like extend it and play on it a little bit and let blank go off and so is that your balance? Or is it acceptable that, you know, because they don't go off an I am mine, you, you can take it and have something with half full? No, it just makes me want it more on I am mine. But okay. <laughs> it just shows that they can do it. Like, why, why are you not doing it? Ed wants to toast the old garden, like I mentioned before, mentioning Maple Leafs Garden, and says a bunch of old venues just aren't around anymore. Chicago Stadium, Boston Garden, going through a couple of those places. But they did a great job keeping this place around, and we played here a while back, and we probably played this one here too. That's getting into black, and this is the era of the Stone Gretsch version of black. It's got a very light feel to it. It's kind of airy a little bit. It kind of takes a little bit to get going. When you have a little bit more distortion, when you have kind of that reverberating sound from it, it's 
it's a different feel. It has a different feel, a different pace to it. But anytime the Gretsch comes up, it's just very mellow, very melodic. And uh, it's, it's another good crowd moment here where right in the middle, they're, they're reciting the I'm spinning line. And I thought that that was phenomenal. This is another one where they're huddling around Matt in this one. And after the song, I don't know if you noticed, but Ed went over to Jeff and he hugged Jeff. Did you notice that? I did not. Yeah. Interesting. So I don't know, like, what that was about. Like, apparently, and and this was something that that I read kind of in some of the comments, like, I didn't notice this when watching, but during the solo, Ed had left the stage. Hmm. I don't know. Something's happening within their inner circle that is impacting the show. And it's not something that we have information for, but it seems like something is going on that's making this feel more special to them on stage yeah you you do get that feeling because there's a lot of those little like you you just can't put your finger on it but like something's going on and whenever that happens black is always elevated and that it's just this is another one of those timeless versions like you mentioned that that gretch sound that stone has is just beautiful and mike even does a little bit of the flamenco strumming during the we belong together tag always reminds me of like the bridge school ones that we did and yeah it's just a a fantastic version of black one of the highlights of the show this is the kind of version where you kind of thought that they were done and they weren't getting into a we belong together you thought that maybe Mm -hmm. it was just gonna fade out and right when you think that that's when you hit it and it kind of elevates again and i thought that that was really good it kind of hits you by surprise a little bit so uh yeah a great moment um and then you're ending the set with do the evolution rear view mirror it's it's a stone solo and and ed tells you to admire stone and that's what you do but again Going back to some of the earlier points, Jeff, one of my favorite bass lines that he has is during Do the Evolution and how the contrast between what what Stone is doing and what he's doing, and he's kind of doing something a little off kilter when you hear that kind of a little bit down on the fretboard a little bit more, where it just balances so well. And it's like some bass players, they'll just go note for note what the rhythm guitarist is doing, and this wasn't that. It's never that, and that's why this is such a great, bouncy, catchy song. 100% agree. Jeff is—he's just got away with songs like that. And these two, especially even Rearview Mirror, too, the way he carries that whole bridge section just locks it down. He's a good moment, Rearview Mirror, absolutely. Yeah, it just—it's—it's just hypnotic, kind of the way that he just drives those things and do the evolution of Rearview Mirror too great great examples of that yeah just a dynamite way to end a set like my god right and rearview mirror it needs to be brought up because it is sort of a, a piece of the storytelling here there was a little bit of a botch in the beginning they but however a botch leads to something kind of beautiful because something i like and something that i wish that we just had like a loop of is just that beginning hypnotic sound to rearview mirror just that beginning like i wish we just had that on instrumental just on a loop somewhere if you listen to this and they go on for a couple extra seconds before where he gets into the vocals but i like that's kind of your taste of that and that's really really cool right there
this is a cornerstone of their catalog and well deserved it's, it's just I mean it almost words can't describe how good it is sometimes on the back the back end too like after you know when when everything is is just erupting Ed's machine gun strumming just how ridiculously fast it gets like that fitting to get into the strobe light moment at the end like that's that's some good stuff that was a very very good version and you're ending out a pretty a main set that on paper like they could have played that at a festival show and you wouldn't have batted an eye but that oh, yeah. that works for an arena too almost like take that you two right exactly if pearl jam went out there every night and had the same exact set list every night would this be it would this be really close to being it It would be close it would be close yeah I, I i would think so too okay we're here at the encore it's time to pause for station identification let you guys know that there's always things uh, over on patreon to do at some point in the not-so-distant future, we're going to be having more Concertpedia reviews for the 2014 shows for LiveOnFourLegs.com, so keep tuned for that. And best way to probably do that is, is follow us on Twitter at LiveOnFourLegsPod or on Facebook through the Pearl Jam Podcast community group. And really, I, I want, if you guys have questions about versions of songs things that maybe you heard before that you want more of like i feel like we're at a point where you know we can we can we can try to find these things for you we had an email the other week somebody was looking for those uh versions of garden that happened in 2006 that kind of had that sort of metal undertone to it and like look we're we're open guys any anybody that wants to reach out to us if you have any questions about shows if you if you're looking for specific shows to listen to over a thousand shows if you want to find a good bootleg to buy like hit us up like we we want to be more accessible for that and i think one of the things that we don't do on the show too often is we don't give out the email address which is there for the taking live on four legs podcast at gmail.com it, it's it, you know we mentioned it I, I think the intro thing always mentions it but like look you're not paying attention to the intro you're just paying attention to the music i'm playing in the background of that you're not paying attention to what i'm saying because it's the repetitive thing every time but look use it to the full extent we want to help you guys out and try to get you guys to to find more bootlegs and, and listen to other shows and, and get you into this as a uh, much as we're digging in so and as far as patreon goes um we put out a new episode last week on the cow palace new year's eve show that happened in 1991 which is very good there's a lot to talk about with this being one of the shows that they opened for the chili peppers that had nirvana on it so if you're interested in that it's it's one of the better shows from 1991 i definitely get yourself over to patreon and check out that and some of the other exclusive stuff this will be another year for Patreon where we're just going to hammer out the, those those exclusives. The, the TV series is coming back. The hallucinogenic recipe, before we put put it to the main platform, it's always going to go to the patrons first. So they get the first taste of listening to it. And the next episode of Hallucinogenic Recipe should be coming out within the next couple weeks or so. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, it's going to be on Zurich 1992. And then that'll go to the main platform at the end of the month. Uh, but if you are interested in doing that and want to donate a dollar a month, or if you want to donate five or ten dollars a month, head on over to patreon.com slash live on four legs and donate to the show. And, and if you donate to the giggle leg, which is the five dollar leg or the horizon leg, which is the ten dollar leg, you will get 
an episode request, just like this show was, just like a lot. I think every single show that we're doing in January is going to be a requested show, and <laughs> February a lot are going to be requested as well. We want to hit on these. A lot of people have been donating for a long time, so we want to get to these. And one person to thank, I, I believe it was a couple of weeks ago that, that they donated. We just couldn't get to it because we didn't have any actual episodes last week. So singling out Ashley Baker for donating and becoming a new patron. So thank you, Ashley. Oh, thanks, Ashley. And I hope you're enjoying the stuff over there. Anything else to add? Just keep checking out uh, liveonfourlegs.com. Don't forget the Patreon app. That's the easiest way to do it. Search for Live on Four Legs. We, you know, all of our patrons, we're so thankful that you're with us for another year here. And it's, we, we just want to keep getting better and keep doing more stuff for you. So, yeah, there's going to be a few surprises this year, hopefully. Hey, you guys uh, that are part of the Giga, Gigaton Horizon leg that haven't sent us episode requests before, get them in because we're going to try to get as much in as we can in 2022. There's some things that, that we're dead set on doing that are going to be like a series and themes and stuff like that, but get your episode in as soon as humanly possible, just so we, we have an idea of where we could put it. And please reach out to us because it, it's, it's, we have over a hundred patrons. It's very hard to remember who's been donating for how long and where and all that. So please uh, just, just make sure if there's something in that aspect where we owe you a request for, for donating, please reach out to us. Okay. Back to the rock. And this is going to be very interesting encore. This is a little bit different and it kind of precedes a show like a grand rapid show where this isn't sit-down territory, but it's close. It's close to being acoustic territory. It's definitely mid-tempo territory, but it's different. Ed addresses the crowd who, who is chanting his name, and he says it's unfair. It makes Throwback me feel... to the 90s, yeah. Right. It makes me feel inadequate because I don't know each and every one of you by name, so thanks to you, each one of you as individuals. And says a few people that we've been fortunate enough to know, your countryman Uncle Neil and the distinguished gentleman of you two have been great influences on this band. And I mentioned this before, the thousands of dollars of drinks that they bought us uh, over the years, the $1,500 bottle of vodka they drank on Sunday night. But it shows us what it's like to continue to stick around. Who knows how long we'll be around for, but it's nice that you're around to keep us company. And I think that's the biggest thing to take out of it is that there aren't a lot of bands with that kind of longevity that can say for the last 40, almost 50 years now has been doing this nonstop. Like it feels like there has been a U2 album every two or three years. And, yeah, and you yeah. know, for a while they were one of these bands where even though they were the old band, even though they were kind of the elder statesmen, you knew what the new single was. And I don't know if Pearl Jam was aspiring to kind of be that way. And I, I don't think that people out there that, that know the radio hits will know D Dance of the Clairvoyance or even know a song like Mind Your Manners or The Fixer, which, which were singles. But I, it felt like that was sort of the strive that they wanted to achieve at this point where they're like, what, f almost 15 years in at that point. And he says, who knows how long it's, it's going to be 15 more. We're going to see this 30 years, you know, 30 years in retrospect and be like, okay, here's the grand scale picture here for the long haul. And their trajectories are not much different. Mm. The scale of fame might be different, but their trajectories yeah. are not different. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's an interesting comparison because, you know, there is some influence there. Like you two really had that kind of soaring alternative quote unquote sound early on in the eighties and a lot of bands lifted from that and that's just it's just one of the things that Pearl Jam lifted from. You know, they kind of the amalgamation of all these different styles and all these different influences. And U2 is definitely one of them. And like I said, they've been a stadium rock band since, you know, 1985 or whatever, you know, so they've been doing it a long time. And they could announce a tour tomorrow and sell out stadiums all over the world. Yep. There's something to be said for that. I, you know, it's it's not for me, but I give them credit. And they're definitely one of those elder statesman things that Ed always looked up to, I think. Yeah, and and look, if you want to strive to be part of the upper echelon, one of the best and and known for being respected, which in some cases U2 is, in some cases U2 is, is laughed at a little bit because, again, the Bono factor in there. But look at the, the, the career arc, the trajectory. Who wouldn't want that longevity? Who wouldn't yeah, they've, want... They've had a second act and a third act and a fourth act. And yeah, yeah it's and it's going, right. And it, and it doesn't look like it's stopping anytime soon. So, all right, this encore is going to open with Ed Solo, Hide Your Love Away, and then get into Present Tense, then get into Wishlist. There's a good crowd sing-along on the John Lennon song. Ed fucks it up at the end. <laughs> at first, he doesn't finish. Says fuck it, and then the crowd kind of is this kind of hacking him on, like, all right, you got this, you got this, and uh, it sounds like he's gonna abort it, but with with some encouragement, he goes for it, and he seemed pretty happy with himself after. A lighthearted moment and kind of a not not a heavy but like a a more serious night like you said early on this encore really kind of like opens up and let, let's lose yes. a little bit and that's coming up oh yeah which is interesting because these are some of the more serious songs mm-hmm. if you want to put it that way like go an animal and some of the early ones they're like okay those are the fun ones you should be having fun on those but they're having fun on present tense and wish list and even harvest moon is is a lot of fun so they even uh, lose a little bit on present tense too i think someone got kind of lost it was a little janky yes. at the end like didn't yeah. quite nail the landing but yeah, I noticed that too. It was a little reserved to start. It, it kind of, when it kicks in, it feels kind of like an alarm clock. But there was that hitch. I, I don't think it deterred me away from the song at all. Uh, oh, yeah. I thought, just I keeps, thought that the just keeps it from good. hitting that upper tier. Of, of course, which is yeah. so high. And, and at this yeah. point, especially when you look at it at this point, present tense in 2006 is going to have a major breakthrough. And it's going mm-hmm. to be one of those deep cut songs that just comes out of nowhere and arrives from the dead that's just a complete fan favorite that is taken to new levels that's not this yet so to to call it middle lower tier of the present tense it's not a slight against them at all it does mention something during it like he's he's kind of doing the the arena rock like come on make something happen make something happen come on 
to make something happen Was he not getting a good vibe from the crowd? Because it felt I don't know. even yeah. even go a little bit later, and uh, even in Jeremy, I think he's he's doing a little bit more pandering. I don't know if he's like, okay, I expect more from Toronto or, or what, but he was trying here. He was trying to get this one in the good graces of the crowd. It's a tough reaction because this is this is a place where they played many many times, and they would continue to play there. They would be back the next year, back in 2011, back in 2016. So. Yeah, I don't know. Just a maybe just a weird vibe. I mean, they're building back into the set here, so and and this one you used up all your hits, so mm-hmm. you're kind of going back to like I said before, you're kind of going back to a deep cut, so it might throw fans off a little bit, but Wishlist is going to finish off this little section before inviting Corn Tucker out and a little weird at the start, but sounds fine overall. The Ebo thing nice. got a little bit weird. Nice. Yeah, the song trailed on a bit at the end. There's no tag or anything like that. There was no real finish, but not bad by any means. Just not remarkable, not too memorable. It's just to have it. It's just a really nice segue into what comes next. Yeah, and what comes next is going to be the highlight of the show or one of the big highlights from the show. Ed mentioned uh, Uncle Neil ahead of time uh, back when they started the encore, and he said, we'd like to do one of his songs for you. Can't do it without the help of Corn Tucker. And mentions that he fucked up the last three songs. It's one thing to fuck up your own song, but another to fuck up your Uncle Neil's. This is the fourth night in a row that they had been doing mm-hmm. this. And you can tell, look, the band is is locked in on this. And again, hovering around Matt, but it's really the focus is on Jeff, Mike, and Stone. That yeah. They're all looking towards each other, and they're all looking to get this right. And like, if, if you're ever going to get this song, which is like one of my favorite songs of all time, 
if you're going to get this song right, this would be the venue to do it in. And I, I it feels like they were once again going back to how determined they were in the main set. This is another part of the of just wanting to be determined and wanting to have a really good performance of this. I thought that this was fantastic. You hear other bands try this, other bands try and cover it, and it doesn't do the song justice. When you get Corn Tucker back there and she's not doing a lot, she's doing just enough to give you a little bit of the backing vocals. It's perfect the way it is. It's a really nice version. And then, of course, in the middle, <laughs> we, we mentioned the encore is a lot looser, even though they were determined. It gets the harmonica solo and uh, chucks the harmonica afterwards, which... Yeah, someone well, someone got a nice souvenir. Yeah. I, I think I'm with you. This is This is great. I really like the song. And I think that you you know you mentioned the the band kind of playing together. I think this it's one of those things where this is this is Stone kind of guiding everyone, like like a watch me for the changes type of thing. Like yeah, for sure. Let, let's let's all like Stone's the one who knows it, so let's all kind of get together, like we do in practice. Is this you know this is what you do in practice? Is you you get close up and you watch and you 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 follow for the changes and you figure it out. And this being the fourth night, they're a little more comfortable with it. It's a little tighter which means almost it's a little looser. They can be a little bit more relaxed with it. But yeah, Corin's great. She's, God, she's got a powerful voice, just can do yeah. anything. And yeah, Ed kind of goes over and dances with her at the end. It's kind of a really nice moment. That was a sweet moment. Absolutely a highlight. Yep. Look, the rhythm of the song, it's got some like magic to it. It's got some beauty to it. A thing kind of like, Yeah. yeah. Look, it's it's a late career Neil Young song, and it's one of his best. It's like it's it's a top five Neil's song to me, hmm. and it's 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 special. And I think they they make it even more so by the way that they pull it off. Wonderful stuff. Ed, afterwards, going back to the harmonica, he he said, "Well, just learn that red wine and harmonica don't mix." But Neil d- drinks Budweiser. That might be the way to go. After this, we get indifference. That's an interesting spot for this song. This morning, though I won't be alone, won't you shield our silence? For soon that will be gone. Oh, I will stand, arms outstretched, pretend I'm free to roam. Yeah, I will make my way through. One more day <laughs> Come on, let's see your candles I must be friends interesting to hear indifference played the way it is here because it's usually 
the way that we know now, the way that it's ending sets now, it's kind of like it's become a pandering moment a little bit. It's kind of like end of the show. All right, let's turn the house lights on. Let's everybody sing along. Let's clap together. And uh, it's interesting to see a version that's so late in the game that isn't that. And they're you're, staying you're the one who called indifference pandering. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna back off of that. I mean, it, um, people can well, people can send their emails, direct them to Randy. I think I, it's what's not pandering about it. What, it's just they, it's become kind of a sing along. Like I, I think if you know, yellow yeah, Ledbetter is more. Of the, like I mean, the, the big ending. This is I think indifference is different kind of a thing. But this one is different because it's it's very sparse and it's a lot more tense. I think it. Yeah. different sometimes when it closes the show it can be a little more open and he he kind of invites everyone it's a big sing-along and you know everyone's screaming at the top of their lungs it's you know it's a little bit of the celebration like let's give these people something cool to to go off to but this is very stripped down like there there are times when matt's almost not playing there are times when mike's almost not playing and it's it's really letting the space kind of feel the song out and i really really like this a lot I think it's aided too. Like I think Ed does, you know, let's see your candles, and like you expect, you know, the cell phones to go up, but uh-huh. no, here it's it's lighters. You're getting actual lighters, probably one of the last times that that you would get actual flames during a Pearl Jam song. And yeah, I thought this was spectacular. I really, really enjoyed this. Here's the interesting part, and this might be kind of the pivot point on where indifference changes a little bit when you hear the crowds singing at the i'll swallow poison until i grow immune when you think of sort of the stark ominous versions of the song that happened in the early 90s they're they're not getting that everybody's just kind of just in deep sort of hip, hypnotic state but now the crowd like they know these lyrics and they're singing them at the top of their lungs and i think the crowd put them in a spot where they're like okay we when we we play this we need to play off their reactions and we need to make this a bigger moment for them so i think that 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 change is is based off of that too the crowd has a lot of input at this point and pearl jam is starting to recognize that but this was is probably one of the last or one of the later versions of indifference that has more of the original undertones to it this is the prelude into Alive, which is very good. And I'm going back to Jeff for Alive. I thought he had the bounce that this version needed. Like, you're just hearing him. He's so audible in this. And again, playing off of what Stone is doing so well. Stone's doing one thing. Jeff is doing the other thing. He's in the same key, but he's making something in contrast. So he, his rhythm is standing out just as much as Stone's. Yes. I mean, this is their song, right? This is this is Stone's groove. Jeff and Stone together. I mean, that's that's the basis that the song is built off of. And even Ed and Mike even get a little moment together, and this is really nice. The crowd kind of takes it at the end. I mean, yeah, this is this is above average version of Alive. I thought it was great, but hard to follow. You know, coming off a, a very good harvest moon and a very good indifference. Yeah, this, this, very this, felt, right. this felt more like let's let's get this out of the way because there's there's other stuff coming. Sure, uh, of course, but you know what? Like that probably leads to just a fun version of it, and, and yeah. it's the yeah. only is the only one that's that's kind of like an up tempo 
in this uh, in this first encore here. You know, nice little touches that that they have in this yeah. the the little stop and start thing that they do kind of at the end where Stone will have that riff and like Matt kind of plays off that a little bit too. Like that's that stuff sounds really good and then they're trying that now. And Alive, I think in the next year would be considered the curse breaker, but at this point I think they they know it's broken. So yeah. Uh, yeah, nice touch. Ending your your first encore. They come out for encore two and mention there's a lot going on in the past week. And I think that's that might be a little bit of a nod to what happened in Hurricane Katrina. That that mm-hmm. was like a week or so before that. But of course, in Toronto itself, you uh, two, the White Stripes were playing. There was a film going on and just extra craziness but ed thanks the crowd for having us and we appreciate your ears taking the abuse but we're not through with you yet and that's what's coming at look all of these songs all of these originals from indifference on are tenor versus era tenor versus from the album or from the era that that's all the original songs the the covers even like pretty early covers too but this is all going back to to standard stuff from the beginning that they know big city crowd is going to be into blood jeremy that's coming off of encore two and and you know ed's voice sounded pretty good on blood however i don't know if you you noticed like the beginning of jeremy he sounds pretty tired it sounded like blood kind of wiped him out a little bit that's understandable yeah of course yeah he's pushing 40 at this point so yeah he's starting starting to feel a little bit and yeah, blood starts to starts to taper off a little bit. They you know played it a lot in two thousand three, and at this point you don't quite get it as much. And it would be another one like Habit. It doesn't quite hit like it used to. But yeah, that's understandable. It's been a, it's been a long night. Probably tired from singing along to you two the whole night before too. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I mean, Old Man River, like uh, you know, yeah. you got to stretch oh, you know your he voice was on out the side of the one. stage singing along to everything. Of of course. Oh yeah, of course he was. And and that that fifteen hundred dollar bottle of vodka probably right. didn't didn't help. That's right. It. And Jeremy, like I mentioned before, the call and response sections here, he's trying to make something more of it. He's trying to get something a little bit more out of the crowd, kind of going back to, to what he was doing in, in present tense, trying to feel a little bit more. I don't, I don't know, and maybe from somebody from the crowd could give this perspective if, if it was just a little off in the encores, because clearly in Better Man it wasn't. So I don't know what, what his perspective was in this, but maybe he was just... For a big city expecting a little bit more but again this is all leading to a really big moment and i think he's just trying to get the crowd super pumped and excited for that i think that might be why but ed goes around the horn and introduces everybody and then invites slater kinney out but you only get corn tucker and not carrie or janet and you're going to get leaving here, which I don't want to spend too much time on because I, I, I Slater Kenny versions of leaving here are not for me. Uh, I love Slater Kenny, but I, I'm not crazy about whenever they come out to do leaving here. I'm just not. Don't want to get into it today. Don't want to get into it today. I like it. It's a good song. The solos, <laughs> Jeff. We have to mention Then it. Jeff. Yeah. Then <laughs> Jeff. Mm-hmm. 
say, it's a Jeff show. Yeah, it is a yeah. Jeff show. Giving uh, him some love there, letting, letting him have the moment. Absolutely. Yep. So, all right, now we're at the moment that makes this show stand out from most. And we've been priming for this big moment. Uh, the narrative is paying off here. Obviously, he's coming out. And uh, what I want to address before we get into to, to Bono and the whole thing is that we had a pretty good camera angle of this on the YouTube video. And then the, the house lights must have come up and a security guard must have caught him filming uh-huh. because uh-huh. It, it, it shuts off pretty much right before Bono takes the stage. You can go and find there's there's a couple of different versions. You can go and find a couple of different versions of just this song with Bono, and yeah, you can find you can kind of piece it together. But yeah, that was that was a funny moment. Kind of took took me back a little bit. So he comes out kind of like midway, second verse, second chorus ish, and he they're they're on the side of the stage. It's him and Edge, and I I don't know if it's Larry Mullen Jr. or if it's Adam Clayton, the one without the glasses. Um, must be, on that. It's a nice gig to be the guy in you too who can walk around and not even recognize you. It's not a bad, not a bad job. But they're they're kind of just hanging out in that little pit off to the side, and then you see Bono like just run up, and he's Ed just let, lets him have it. goes off what into some... What was he doing? We've seen people guest on Rock on the Free World many, many times. And each time... Very standard like song to sing. It, yeah, it felt like they had heard the song before. It felt like they knew the words. Bono is is off on in his own on his own universe somewhere singing a completely different song about who knows what. I couldn't even decipher what he was saying. It was really difficult to tell. Yeah. And even on second listen... I was just like, I, this is Vertigo era Bono. There's just, I don't want to call it verbal diarrhea coming out of his mouth, but he's he's just, I don't know, like maybe this is just one of his mantras or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, just kind of like, I can imagine being in the crowd and being like, like if he had just sang the song, it would have been great. Like Yeah, just, right. Just That's all he had to do. That's but all you had to knows, do. I don't think he knows the words. I think, look, and again, we didn't really want to have this conversation about Bono, but like Bono 
Bono was a leading character in 2005. He was up front and almost impossible you're, to get rid of. the whole Bono experience. You think Bono doesn't go halfway. Right, you absolutely are. And he's just doing exactly what you would expect of him and exactly what a lot of people would cringe at. And I, it's, it, it is what it is. And I think that back then, I probably held a little bit more of a, a distaste and, a, and an anger and vigor for, for what U2 was doing. And now it's just like, all right, who cares? Keep on rocking in the free world. There's so many things to understand. I'm here to see Pearl Jam. They're giving people lever again. I never say never again. They're making me believer again. Rock. They are who they are. You can't really change that, and you can't change people for enjoying them. And they also can't change us for for not being into it. So, if you gather body language, Bono doesn't stay on stage for very long. I will oh, yeah. give him that. Like Ed, Ed right gives when him he's a hug done, and he is out. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, he he pops back in a little bit towards the end, but he doesn't want to. He he doesn't want to show his face, and and that right there can tell you that okay maybe Bono isn't the attention seeker that you would think he is but he does take his moment and and makes it the Bono moment I, I will say there's that the one part like there's something about I came to see the Pearl Jam and then there's just yeah. screaming <laughs> rock like it's just like dude you just... something about like being a believer yeah they made me a believer again or something yeah right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> just like Dude, just just sing the song, man. Like everyone else, everyone else has done it. Just just right. go sing the song. It would have been great. Yeah, it's 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 a stark contrast to Julian Casablancas, who in "Not for You" would go off mm. at the end of the song. Pearl Jam is my favorite band. Doobly, doobly, yeah, doobly. Yeah. It's yeah. you know, it's just who he is. That's that's what he is. But and you got to mention here, there is cowboy hat and there is red sunglasses. Again, this is prime douchey Bono era. I think everybody that kind of knows Bono for for who he is knows this Bono the most. And I don't know if he still dresses that way. I don't know if he, that still is. But that's like when I think of Bono, that's the look that I think of. Mm. I think of the cowboy cowboy hat and, you know, this the, is the, the most the I've thought movies. about U2 in 20 years. Oh, same, same. <laughs> and to be honest with you. Years. Yeah, to be honest with you, I'm like, I'm taking or leave it. Looking I, forward to not talking about them for another 20, 25 years. Yeah, yeah. The narrative of this show was 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 not. It was not, <laughs> fall, It was not the best for our taste, but it just it's part we're of their history. Get, we're gonna get so many letters. We're gonna get so. Many no, letters. we're we're not gonna get any letters. We're not gonna get any letters. <laughs> we got our own opinions, and and that, that's a that's okay. I think just leave it as a part of history and i'm sure the people that were at those u2 shows or were u2 fans in the crowd this is probably a moment we didn't get to hear from emil i'm sure that that went into why he requested it i i I, no doubt in my mind that that's probably why 
But, you know, for some people that are a fan of both bands, hey, look, we can say the same thing. Like when when Neil Young comes out and and plays with them, we're, we're we get giddy about it because we love Neil Young. But somebody else that isn't quite, you know, the Neil Young fan, they'd be yeah. like, all right, this is this is kind of tired. Like I don't like the old folksy kind of kind of stuff. So it's just different worlds. It's it's different tastes, and you know, say what you want about Bono, but is not our guy. So that's the narrative of this one. And they're going to, they're going to take it off there and, and go into lead better and lyric changes reminiscent of what he was doing in 2003, uh, kind of going back to the anti-war stuff and don't know whether my brother's coming home in a box or a bag. And that's pretty standard end of the set type stuff from this era. But again, at the end, camera pans over to Bono watching at the side stage with the rest of you two. And Ed thanks him again. There's something I wanted to bring up. Um, there are two moments that have happened at shows I've been to where Ed has specifically mentioned Bono because Bono, I think Bono had a major bike accident at one point. Oh yeah. And yeah. Ed had mentioned that at the end of uh, the MSG 2010 show. The other time that he mentioned something about Bono was was the first Fenway night in, in 2018. But the way that he went about both of them, if you listen to him back to back, and that was actually one of the things in our first ever episodes that we did was play both of those bites next to each other. And he'll do the same thing. It's like Bono, he he donate. He's he's such a great man. He's an Irishman, and and he does all these great things. And we we just want to let him know that we're wishing well. And, and in a way, it's kind of like. Were you paid to say that? You know, like it, this, it's almost by script. And I, but yeah, it also kind of between the rock stars. Yeah, but it also kind of shows, you know, what kind of respect that they have for him. And, sure. and no doubt he's not our guy, but but he is an influence for this band. So the, it, it, it is part of it. So, all right, that was the end of the set. I, I think we can wash our hands a little bit of you too. I'm sure it's going to come back into a decision on the rating here. But let's pick three moments that we enjoyed from this. Start it off. Yeah, not not difficult. I'm going to go with Black. I thought it was a very fantastic standout version of Black. Enjoyed it very much. My number two is going to be Harvest Moon. Corn Tucker, I think, nice touch. And just a very relaxed, kind of cool song that you don't get. You know, it's kind of a kind of tied into this era a little bit. So enjoyed it. And my number one is going to be Indifference, actually. Like I was very impressed by this indifference. Something I hadn't hadn't heard from this song in a long time, and kind of gave me, made me want to like stand up and take notice and, and give it a second listen. So, that's my number one. Those are my three. Uh, number three for me is going to be Better Man. I loved the crowd response at the beginning, and it, it energized the song afterwards. And it kind of felt, you know, a, a big song like that in the middle of the set where you don't get Better Man right in the middle, kind of middle towards the end. It, it felt like it gave it a little bit more juice, you know, it, it kind of added into the arena vibe atmosphere that they might've been going for there. And, and the crowd, while maybe didn't come up quite as well in the encore, they, they came through for that one. 100% indifference is going to be my number two. I, going back, like I won't use the word pandering, but versions nowadays aren't this and it's original. It, it goes back to what, you feel on the record. It goes back to your first intake of the song and, and kind of the contrast of what the crowd and what the band was doing was great. Like, I think you get the best of both worlds on it. Very, very good. Number one, Jeff Ament. 
I'm going to just give the nod to Jeff and just say that Jeff had a fantastic show. Not Harvest Moon. You did say that was the highlight. Yeah, it is. But my number one is going to be Jeff. Okay. I hate picking. Like, I just want to be different. And you already picked Harvest Moon as your, your number two. So what difference does it make? You know, it, 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 it is a highlight. Sure. Sure. It, it doesn't have to be mine. It doesn't have to be yours. It, it, it it's one. So I'm gonna I'm gonna just say the way that Jeff sounded at the show was just excellent, and uh, there will be more Jeff talking in in the future. We'll make a point of that. We'll add him into the mix. That is a 2022 resolution for sure. <laughs> All right, where does this? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you do the rating first. Okay, yeah, this was a discussion. I don't know if you listened uh, the past week we had done our Hall of Fame episode, and the way that Hall of Fame episodes are done is that if a show will get into the Hall of Fame, if it has tens across the board, we thought, you know, since I usually go last in these situations, that would I hold my rating for a point where you could say, okay, Am I am, am I determining what I'm doing based off what John is yeah. doing? Oh, you you might be you might be a little more prone to, to doing the gameplay to like letting that influence it maybe. Sure, sure. At times, yes. At times, yeah. I'm I think I'm a little bit more stingy on giving a ten than you are, but uh, I think every other week to switch it up a little bit. I'm okay. sure it means nothing to you guys, but this one's not going in the Hall of Fame. I the, there's no secret to that. I, I, this is a seven point five. And um, I mentioned a couple weeks ago there was a show that we did that was 7.5, and 7.5s are not bad shows by any stretch of the imagination. They are good, they are fun to listen to, they might not be the standout of the bunch, but they do have moments that that you can go back to and be like, okay, all right, that, that sounded good, that was pretty good, but when you think of the 2005 tour, there are just other things that stand in the way of, of you know, just songs that got debuted for the first time songs that were brought back from the dead like you got to compare this a little bit to the to the rest of the stuff that they were doing the the, the couple nights before at ottawa was a very good show and then they'd go off and do do some some more shows after this that were also excellent and yeah i i don't think that this is a standout for 2005 and also the narrative you two not my cup of tea so that's kind of the deciding factor between giving it a 7.5 and an eight. Interesting. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty close to that. I'm going to give it an eight. There is some really, really good stuff here. And it's, it's got all the elements that it should be a very, very good show. This on paper, this should be a nine and a half pushing a 10 show. You've got Toronto. You've got this, the great crowd there. They played there before. You've got this great opening. The, the main set is just hits, hits, and then there's some off moments, like there's some disjointedness. There's the, the the tuning issues that kind of throws some off a little bit. There's a couple of mishaps here and there, but that kind of keep it from getting to that. But it does have some when when it when it when it's good, it's very good. Like half full black to the evolution review mirror is fantastic. Include better man in that as well. That runs very good. The harvest moon indifference alive run is very very good and you know I'll, I'll even give like having having bono come out like yes not not my favorite but it's a moment and that's 
that's something that people are going to remember and people are going to go back to. So I'm very close by. I can't get, I can't put it in the nine, nine and a half category. So I'm going to give it a solid eight. That's, that's fair. I think that it's, it hovers around that area. And again, when you think of 2005 and, and also when you think of Toronto shows, they would go back in a couple of years in, in 2011 and have some real standout, some of the best oh, yeah, shows classic. that they played there. Yeah. Right. The nine, nine 2011 is, is a wonderful show. And yeah, like this is kind of probably, if it's not for Bono, it's probably mid tier, but Bono probably bumps it up a little bit. Toronto 96 is just very hard to beat in my eyes. Yeah. We gave but that one nine and a half across, nine and the, a half. across the board. Right. So, so yeah, very close. It, it had a lot to, to kind of live up to in, in that retrospect, but all right, we are done with this one. That means next week, the next episode that we'll be doing, will be going back to the lightning bolt tour. We're not going to be doing a ton of lightning bolt stuff this year. I just want to preface that. And when we do, we're going to space it out a little bit because it feels like when you get into lightning bolt, it's really tough to get out of it. You know, getting a couple shows in a row where you're going, oh, pendulum into nothing, man. And like it, it, you just need some, you, you need some change. You need some differences. And New uh, year, we're trying to break it up a little bit. Right, right. I mean, I think almost every tour year is going to get represented and it's the 30th year of 1992. There's going to be a lot of 1992 coming up rather soon. So this is going to be an earlier lightning bolt tour show that we do and it's going to be Worcester from night one that's the standout of the two nights that they did and that's going to be another patreon request so we will get to that one which is which is a great show and who knows it could be very close to hall of fame worthy you, you never know but we'll we'll have to let that be a cliffhanger and you'll have to find out next week i suppose so all right uh, i don't know if you guys know but on spotify if you're listening to this on spotify you're able to rate a podcast now and it would be wonderful if you enjoyed the show and wanted to rate this five stars give us a little visibility in the pearl jam community within the podcast that would be great and help us out again if you're an apple subscriber rate us five stars over there leave us a comment let people know what you think always just want to spread the word if you're enjoying this let other people know that's how we grow that's how we get better also the follow on social media help us a lot look 2022 we're this is just uh the the foot in the door and we're just getting started it's it's early january and we'll we'll get through this year somehow we got through last year so i guess we gotta get through this one too all right out of adjectives i'm done spiel coming now This may be the end. We're here. Not for much longer. And although we may be parting ways, I'll miss you already. I miss you always. Thanks, everybody. It was a good first show, I would say. Why don't you come back next week? We'll see you there. Rock, 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 rock.